0: Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, (laughs) we read them so you don't have to,
1: because
0: we're foot soldiers in this war for the world. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Benedict, the real leader of the World Economic Forum. Benedict, what's your favorite barbecue order?
2: Before I answer that, can I just ask, did you forget the joke that you'd written for the start of the show, read it, and then make yourself laugh with it? That, that is
0: a little like- bit. It was also that I was doing like the, uh, the <laughs> bum, bo-dum, bo that, and that, I don't know why that made me chuckle. Before we even started recording, I was um, doing funny, uh, funny sounds. Teddy
2: bear's picnic sounds. Sometimes I do, make myself do, laugh. Do it, do it. Very good. Uh, favorite barbecue, uh, bun ends. Ooh, you're a burnt ends burnt man. Ends guy, yeah,
0: yeah that's it. not bad. That's not bad. There's some, there's some good. Uh, I that, that little bit of extra char. <laughs> yeah, you know? love the
2: char. If we're gonna, you know, if, we, if we're smoking meats, give me all the fucking smoke you oh, got. Yeah.
0: You know, like, oh yeah, and that. I mean, that brings me to a point, which is that people who want their meat rare don't know how fucking good meat tastes. It's the Maillard reaction, you douchebags. Mm, you so, want it to be cooked because it creates flavor. So you're a well-done guy. No, I'm not well done, but I'm like medium, medium well. It depends on what cut I'm getting or whatever it is. I'm
2: medium, medium rare. I I, I err on the side
0: of Rare meat has such little flavor. It just does. True. If you just order like a rare steak, it's like you're just biting into. The, there's there's nothing there. Mm. It's it's not good. I don't. This is just because you're trying overtly to be extra manly. I don't think that's even it.
2: Because I like my steak medium rare, so I don't know. Well, we can agree you're to disagree. Uh, yeah. Strange. What's your thing? Your barbecue. mine. Order.
0: Uh I, I I'm a pulled pork guy. Okay. I love me some pulled pork. I'll go for right. it every time. A little On bit of barbecue sauce.
2: Or side, like You know, a, I'll yeah. have
0: it either way. Sam sandwich mm-hmm. obviously is convenient. Be walking okay. around and holding it talking to people. Um mm. But uh if you want to try out some different barbecue sauces, I think the loose pulled pork is a little uh What's little more your, way to go.
2: Are you a mustardy? barbecue sauce no guy, I'm, a like sauce a I'm a spicy sauce guy i'm a
0: spicy sauce okay. man that's how i like them okay
2: but uh, you know right. i go back and forth i'll try it all i'll sure. eat it all yep but it's a fucking uh, buffet a cornucopia if you will
0: <laughs> um and uh, words words um yep that's what i was saying you probably know <laughs> but our listeners don't know what we
2: do here on this podcast and what we do here is we go deep 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 into the depths of right-wing thought. I'm just going to let you though.
0: finish it. Go right
2: ahead. I, <laughs> I don't know it by heart. Uh, into the depths of the right-wing thought to hear what they think will make America hate nah, right again. Ah,
0: you, you fucked it time, all up. Know.
2: How, <laughs> dare, you? How you dare you? I don't listen to you until we start recording.
0: It's by reviewing a chapter from working conservative nonfiction. In between, taking a look at other examples, of the right doing their best to make America, make hate, America hate again. Better start us off. Yeah. You have a hot take for us this week. I do. Happy birthday. Uh, you dick. That's cheating. That's, That's supposed okay, to be nice. mine. I, you I, stole I, I, my easy one on my your, birthday. Your easy one was, it's my
2: birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. It's my um, birthday. Sing okay, my praises. As, uh, worship as a in my a birthday gift, I have another one. Everyone wish happy, Kevin happy birthday, but... Uh, I tweeted this, but I have it. I had it on lock as my backup. Is that nobody who's mad about Lizzo playing the crystal flute knows (laughs) that the crystal flute existed, knew that it existed until she played it. Absolutely not. Maybe 0.01% of people who are now furious Mm -hmm. that she played a crystal Mm -hmm. flute knew. And everyone's like, "Ah, Heritage, bitch, you didn't know it was there. (laughs) Like, shut the fuck up. That's mine.
0: Oh, the summers we would spend visiting James Madison's (laughs) crystal flute with my family. And going,
2: uh, ah, I wish I could have a toot of the flute. To stand and for listen. hours
0: and admire a flute that had never been touched by black hands. That is what <laughs> those people are actually yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my hot take this week, Benedict. in case you were going to ask, um, is that the educational industrial complex is fucked. Sorry, you're all not
2: allowed this. to do this. Your hot take is, it's my birthday. No, I, I actually attention. planned
0: ahead because I'm not a hack like you. Uh,
2: hey, I planned ahead. I had a backup. Shut <laughs> up.
0: Uh, so I, uh, I had to buy an article the other day uh, mm. uh, in preparation for this show, actually, uh, for the oh, Militia okay. episode. Uh, it's an article by uh, Mark Cabbage, um, who's at the ADL, uh, and he's one of the, the main scholars of the Militia movement. Uh, and it just wasn't available anywhere. So I had to go and pay $37 Woof. for a 25-page article that I read in college.
2: That's uh, patreon.com forward slash and,
0: and you know what, Benedict? You know what? I didn't even get to buy it. I got to rent it. Oh, lucky you. I got you. to rent access to this article.
1: That's Rental!
0: Nice. That's such bullshit. Like Amazon Prime. That... That's such fucking horseshit. Yeah. It's just utter, that. complete nonsense. Um. Anyways, uh, you know, stuff happens. I'm not at the uh, right place in my notes. Housekeeping! Uh, nope, nope, wait, Benedict... Bookshelf. Wow, we are screwed up today, but it is my birthday, as we oh. record, so uh, yes, you don't get to say nice. anything. Yeah.
2: Forgive us.
0: Yep, yeah. I also just spent two and a half hours at the doctor, because they mm. couldn't get a fucking blood draw and had to do it five times. So He's fine. <laughs> I am fine, but badly He's being a baby. What's on your bookshelf this week?
2: On my bookshelf this week is actually a book that I purchased this week, um, mm-hmm. and it is called 400 Souls. Uh, and it is Ah, a uh, the uh,
0: sequel to the uh, Dark Souls video game series, no doubt.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is a collection of essays, each looking at five-year periods in uh, black history in the United mm. States, mm. going from, uh, I think, 1619, I think it starts. Um, I'd like to point it's... out that
0: my comment wasn't racist because I didn't know that it was about yeah, African-American yeah. I, history, yeah. and Dark yeah. Souls is actually the name of video game series. Yeah, I
2: know. <laughs> uh 1619 uh, and it's 100 essays um with some really good writing in there uh it's edited by ibram max candy and someone else
0: who... order now and get five bonus
2: essays keisha blair is the other editor um and it's got it's got editors from uh from some great writers and thinkers so i recommend that it's very good and you can really s- jump around and read the essays that are most interesting to you or read them all in order up to you i do yeah, go ahead
0: what about you? Uh, I am going to recommend uh, the video game Nier Automata. I think that's how it's pronounced. I actually don't know. But uh, I, I started playing the series recently. I started with the, uh, I think it's Nier Revenant is the uh, updated, remastered version of the older game that I started with. And now I'm on Nier Automata. Just great. Just such great games. There's so much depth and weirdness in these games that takes it out of being a standard like RPG it's, it plays around in, like, all these different formats of gaming, third person, uh, going to, like, an overhead t- uh, twin stick type game. There's, like, parts of the game where you're just doing word puzzles. Like, it's, fun. it's a very interesting game. There's also a lot of depth to it. A lot. It's so great. So great. Check it out if you haven't played it already. But with that out of the way, on to housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social medias. Uh, updates. Uh, we noted this on the patron-only tidbit that we did, which is that we need new tidbit material, because we did finish uh, the final episode, sadly, of Lauren Boebert's bullet points. And despite the great efforts of this audience uh, to get her to go back to making bullet points, I'm sure all of you called her office. Uh, she has not done so yet. And so, we need new tidbit material. Uh, we've gotten several recommendations, of course, from people who uh, for, for topic areas. Uh, but if you have any specific you know, videos or serieses or things you'd like us to look at for the patron-only tidbits, let us know. If you don't know what a tidbit is, that's where Bennett and I stick uh, around after an episode for 10 or 15 minutes and go, Hey, let's listen to this wacky video and put it up for the patrons. So, uh, you could do that. Um... Spooky World, New World Order! Uh, y'all were slacking the last week, is what I'll say. Y'all were mm. fucking slacking. I didn't okay. get uh, anyone that I remember off the top of my head when I was putting this outline together uh, who sent me anything. <laughs> so I'm going to select someone instead. Uh, and it's someone who I just want to highlight what I think is some great work they've been doing. This is a guy over on uh, YouTube by the name of Monty Zander. Uh, he is uh, primarily does vi- uh, videos about video games, uh, does these really great critiques and deep dives on video games. Uh, he <laughs> comes at it from a progressive perspective, and it's really nice to see a YouTuber who's not a piece of shit uh, and calls out bullshit in, online and everything, which is really great. And he has a Scottish accent, which is just great. I can listen to his videos forever, just forever. It's just so soothing. That accent is so soothing. Uh, but go ahead and check out Monty Zander on YouTube. Monty Zander, you are now part of our... New world, spooky world order. And with all that out of the way, Benedict, why don't we get into our Alex Jones clip for this week? Did you think I was gonna? Did you think I was gonna end the clips because we got done with Mark Levin? No, 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 we still have clips. We still have clips. A man
2: can dream.
0: (laughs) So, uh, rather than do, I think with Mark Levin, I tried to stick with like this is what he said this week. I think with Alex, it's more interesting to, like, jump back into sort of random periods of his history and find stuff that he said. So the one I have today is from 2018. Uh, it's from Media Matters, and it is titled, Alex Jones warns that Childish Gambino, par- parenthetical Donald Glover, is doing a voodoo dance in his This Is America video. All right. And it's as great as it sounds, Benedict. Like,
1: sounds we listen? great. Uh... Why don't we listen? we got so much to cover. I'm going to go to your phone calls in the next segment about what do you think the globalists are going to do now that Mueller's collapsing, he's been caught lying. Multiple federal judges over the case have said you just want to impeach Trump, you're a fraud. He now just wants to pull the case back until after the midterms and hope we forget. But only more criminalities coming out every day. The 13 Democrats inside the Justice Department and FBI fixing the information, lying to get the warrants, lying to Congress saying that the president wasn't being surveilled when he was a candidate or president-elect or president. The stay-behind networks inside government from the Clinton crime Uh, network.
2: Can you pause it? Yep. This is going to have to do a hard pivot
0: into whatever he's going to talk about. (laughs) Benedict, there's one thing you will learn. It is that Alex Jones is the king of the out-of-nowhere pivot. The completely hard out-of-nowhere pivot. And most of the time it's into an ad for some of his bullshit products,
1: but he pulls it off other times how they were involved in Russiagate themselves, how they're on the communist Chinese payroll. Every passing day, the economy comes back. What are they going to do? They're going to challenge us with censored internet and forced feeding things like Childish Gambito.
0: Boom! There's Gambito. that pivot for you. There's <laughs> yeah. that beautiful pivot. That's talent, my friend. That is fucking go. That talent.
2: is That is Trumpian. Did you see him yesterday <laughs> talking about how... Um, he's talking about
0: something like they'll
2: kill you they'll kill you and then he was like and there's not enough airplanes
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i tend to ignore the trump rallies now yeah me too Uh, otherwise i'll spiral into that darkness that that i would just won't get out of
1: yeah giving it 10 million views over the weekend saying this is america this is america this is america out of 330 million americans showing images of a few hundred people getting killed to create the illusion that we're living in all this carnage. Only in Democrat blue abscesses.
0: Yeah, that's not dehumanizing at all, is it?
1: No. Only in Democrat cesspits where they've taken all the guns and shipped in the narcotics.
0: And he's got the video playing on behind him. But if you actually, actually
1: go to places like Venezuela, over 1,000 people a day mm. are starving to death. By the way, just like
0: to say, the, the the This Is America video is a fucking work of art. Yeah. Like that is that is contemporary art at some of its yeah, finest. Yeah, there's
2: a lot right going there. on in it. Also, it's a, a, lot a bad going song. On. What? <laughs> the video is cool, but it's not a good song.
0: What are you talking about? I love that song. It's a fine song. The, uh, it, maybe it I love needs... it because I love the
1: video. So yeah, much. it
2: needs the video to yeah. be to make it what it is. Yeah,
1: probably. Starving to death. But the government's passed a law saying you can't report on it and call it starvation.
0: No such law exists.
1: So it's all this emotional (laughs) idiocy. And people, fittingly, doing a voodoo dance. I'm looking at video they just played of the uh, (laughs) Donald Glover... Childish Gambino dance he's doing that he probably thinks you think is real original. That's a voodoo dance he's doing. Okay,
0: that's a voodoo dance he's doing. That's it. That, I know.
2: <laughs>
1: trust me, folks. I
2: know what a voodoo dance looks like. Oh, and that Mc, right there, Don't take
1: the words right out of his mouth. In fact, that's a whole other subject. Pull me, voodoo dancing, people in trance, and that is a voodoo dance. One hundred percent voodoo videos. I mean, you've got. All of that then personified through artwork, but they don't think you know what you're actually looking at. You know, the Clintons like to go and do their own voodoo rituals, that's in the news. Oh my god. Please put
2: Bill Clinton in the This Is America Video.
0: <laughs> so so at this point, his producers have pulled like a random YouTube clip that's just um, I think titled Let me see what the title is. Voodoo Dance. Uh, voodoo Dance One. <laughs> oh, dance. They just Googled voodoo dance and pulled the first thing that came up, and they're playing it. It looks absolutely nothing like anything going on in the. This is Is American
2: people moving with rhythm. Is that what it is?
0: Two women holding like you know flowy scarves and just gently swishing a little bit.
1: That's it. That's all it is. He sits there and then demonizes. That's where they go into a trance state. It's once they go into the trance state. Of particular spirits, that's-
0: because Alex sees the video, sees it looks nothing like what he talked about in This Is America, and he's got to explain away why it doesn't look like anything what he's trying to make it oh, yeah. out to be.
1: Particular dance okay. I recognized, and they, and they mixed it in with some more contemporary stuff, some shuffles and some you some name shuffles. it.
2: Alex so Jones. Some of that, some of that new choreographer. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> throw in a shuffle and a
2: wiggle, and uh, you're halfway there. <laughs>
0: God. I think there's like five seconds left, but we don't need to listen to the rest. I don't know. That's just the greatest. That's the fucking greatest. Oh, God, damn. Well, Benedict, with all that out of the way, <laughs> we, we begin our God, book review no. of The Great Reset by Alexander Emmerich Jones, which, if we're honest, is really just us entering the fan service period of this podcast. Benedict, mm. what do we read this week?
2: Well, Kevin, this week we read chapter one of The Great Reset and the War for the World, which is entitled, What is the Great Reset? Mm -hmm. In which Alex does not tell us what the Great Reset is.
0: Indeed, he does not. Does not Mm -hmm. even try to tell us what the Great Reset is. No, he tells us. Even a little bit. He tells us about a book he doesn't like.
2: Yep. Well, I think that is the. I think what he thinks is that that is the blueprint
0: for the great reset. Right? I That's think like the, so. But even like, th- th- look, there is shit he could do. Th- so we got to get into one. Obvious issue off the top, real quick here, which is that Alex did not write this. Alex Jones did not write this. He did. No. And he betrays that to us in the very first sentence. Yeah, when he starts
2: saying one does this and one does that. Alex
0: Jones does never use the word
2: one in his life as a pronoun. So the
0: real author of this book is a man named Kent Heckenlively. No, I did not make that name up.
2: Is this documented?
0: Well, okay. If you flip to the end of this book, Benedict, if you go to the acknowledgements, And you flip that over to the last page. And you look at the last paragraph. This is page 246. You will see that it says, quote, Finally, I'd like to thank writer extraordinaire Kent Heckenlively. I am deeply grateful for his help in condensing and organizing the research presented here and look forward to working with him on future projects. Mm, Also, if you look into Kent Heckenlively at all, you find that he is a ghostwriter who has done this work in the past. But... He also has some of his own work out there. So uh, if you go to his Amazon author page, which is always a great place to begin, uh, you can find Mm. his bio, which reads as follows. When I was 14 years old, I submitted my first story to Analog Magazine, devoted to short science fiction stories. My story did not get accepted, but I did get a gentle rejection letter, which told me to keep writing.
2: Sure.
0: (laughs) Lots of writers have that story.
2: (laughs) (laughs) To be fair.
0: Sure, sure. In college, I wrote my first novel, spent many years writing screenplays, and eventually ran across a story I thought I could turn into a nonfiction story. That was Plague, co authored by Judy Mikovits, Dr. Judy Mikovits. In between writing, I worked a summer for United States senator, spent two summers chasing bad guys at the U.S. Attorney's Office, and spent six weeks in a virus lab where I worked with Ebola. No, no, you did not. No, you did not. There is nothing in your background that suggests you would be allowed anywhere near Ebola. I do not believe you. I do not fucking believe you.
2: Is this the same? Is this Kent and lively JD?
0: Yes, it is Kent and lively JD, as a matter of fact. Yes, he is a lawyer.
2: <laughs> okay. Can I tell you that he has written one, two, three, four, five? Oh,
0: 6, I have 7, his books 8, pulled 9, up, yeah. 10,
2: he has written 11 books about COVID. Yes, he
0: has. Yes, he has. <laughs> Benedict, uh, do you want to? I mean, you, you're you looking at them, obviously, but uh, t- tell the uh, listener, uh, does he believe
2: uh, COVID is real? Uh, I think the listeners can probably <laughs> Yeah, guess. no, no, he doesn't. Uh, not only does he th- not think COVID is real, he's also mad about masks. Mm hmm. Uh, mad about Facebook for some reason. Yeah, random book out of nowhere about Facebook is his upcoming that. one in 2013. Google, yeah. yeah. Uh, plague of corruption, uh, inoculated. How science lost its soul in autism. That yeah. doesn't even grammatically yeah. make sense. But
0: then the the uh, Facebook one is titled "Behind the Mask of Facebook," which I yeah, just love. He's
2: really trying to tie all the mask <laughs> stuff together um he's got the case against masks and the truth about masks yep yep uh both co-authored co-authored with judy Mickam. yes who
0: is a fucking wackadoo nobody who should absolutely isn't
2: she the one that did that uh that video that went super viral. she has
0: had a video go viral uh i don't know which one you're referring to but she has had an anti-covid video go viral in the past yeah that's sort of why she's on the the
2: plandemic yep. yeah she's the, she's plandemic, the plandemic lady, lady. Yeah. yes
0: yeah. Um, let me continue his bio. His bio and just finish there real quick. Sorry, finish his quote. Yeah, yeah. In college, I was a double major in English and political science and served as head of our model United Nations team. And okay. was our
2: nerd, like I, I, as a nerd.
0: nerd. <laughs> he continues and was our school's Rhodes Scholar candidate. Candidate, so didn't get it. No, he did not. He did not. But he was the yeah. candidate. Who who put forth the candidate? I don't fucking know. Uh,
2: himself. That's like saying you're that's like saying you were nominated yeah. for a Nobel Peace yeah. Prize. Like, okay. Okay, man, like, buddy. Okay. In law school, all... I
0: was a writer and editor for law review, and also won top honors in our mock trial class. I don't know what law school he went to. I guarantee you it's not a good one. I worked as a lawyer with my dad for several years. <laughs> Then found myself drawn to my original love of science and became a science teacher. Qualifications? Who needs them? None. Uh, Now I get to teach science during the day and write about it at night. That is his bio. And he has two pictures. One is just him in front of books. The other, of course, him in front of the White House.
2: Oh, He got denied a uh, visa to Australia back in 2017. Not surprising. Not surprising.
0: Australia's a fine country I'd love to visit someday. Uh, they keep out a lot of the crazies that, that really shouldn't be allowed anywhere. But they also have a lot of their own crazies though. They're like we don't true. need it. That anymore. is also true. Like, but so that is enough. who actually wrote this book. So I had to point sure. that out, obviously, right? Because um it's gonna become very apparent that Alex Because you love
2: to do a bit of opera research. Yeah,
0: Alex had very little to do with writing this book. And so that but it does go to one of the things we always ask about our authors, which is do they believe this shit? um so kent heckenly i don't know what alex jones uh, believes you know i i know a little bit more than you i think what i think alex jones believes uh i think again it's what
2: you think alex jones believes. and
0: that's that's the thing i was going to say i think the way this process probably worked is kent trying to distill alex's beliefs to a page and to take out Mm -hmm. some obviously false wackadoo bullshit which is why I think, rather than the usual just blatant lies that Alex does on air, like we heard about him fucking knowing about voodoo dances, we get yep. things like this book and this guy trying to take apart this book, even though the portions of the book he puts on the page don't have any of the implications that he tries to say they have. And we'll get yeah, to that.
2: Yeah, and they're also very banal. like it's Very. Like, so I, from, very from the first chapter of this Book it's very banal,
0: but it begins even before we get to chapter one. Weirdly. I will say because there are two oh, quotes. No, I... There are two quotes okay. to open up this book. Uh, one is from George Carlin, and go fuck yourself. George Carlin yeah. would fucking you don't outs. get George Carlin. No, you, yeah, you <laughs> don't get him. You don't get him. Uh, the second is from Forbes Magazine, and it is from an article by a World Economic Forum contributor in 2016 titled "Welcome to 2030." I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. And I'll read it for you. It reads, quote, Welcome to 2030, to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say, our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all these things became free, so it ended up not making sense for us to own much. And this is a cornerstone, cornerstone of Alex's Great Reset conspiracy theory. His Mm -hmm. intentional misunderstanding of this and where it comes from. So, yeah,
2: I mean, this is a, that that essentially is a. It's not a. They're going to take your stuff away. It's a. Hey, you don't have to buy anything because it's all available in the short term if you want it. That
0: today. is true. That is true of that particular article. But let me tell you, Benedict, that article is one in a series of eight that the World Economic Forum asked a bunch of their. I get their. I guess they were like. They weren't youth because they were like in their twenties, but they were like. I guess they're young. Um, cohort to like write predictions for the year 2030 or something right Um, so there were eight of them and that is one of them one of them is just this future that is imagined where all products have become services the other thing that Alex misunderstands intentionally which
2: by the way is the way a lot of businesses are trending
0: sure it is but the other thing that Alex intentionally misunderstands about that article is that that article is written basically as dystopian fiction It breaks Mm. towards the end with the author writing about the people who live outside of the city and the way that they live in basically, you know, abandoned homes. And there, there is people who are discontent with the life that has been created in the city. It's very fucking interesting if you read it in full and get this bit of nuance that's going on there. And the Mm -hmm. fact that this this writer is so obviously trying to put in that perhaps this servant, this society that we become isn't so great after all. It's very fucking interesting. And Alex, of course, okay. completely ignores all of that in its entirety sure. for the purpose of just sense. putting out this conspiracy theory. The other part would have guessed that <laughs> is that this series of eight articles that were written about what the world is like in 28 or 2030. Um, not all of them, including that one I just talked about, think that this future will be good. This is a creative fiction project. Some of them are people who were like thinking about, you know, real-world stuff, some of them are people who are being a bit more creative. Like, number th- the second article, there is a global price on carbon. So someone wrote theirs about how there would be a global carbon tax. Now we'd be dealing with uh, climate change. Number three, U.S. dominance is over. We have a handful of global powers. So someone imagined a world where we didn't have such a bipolar uh, world power structure, but actually there was a lot more power mm-hmm. sharing going on with different countries. Uh, number four, farewell farewell hospital. Hello, home Three. <laughs> Which, nope. (laughs) It's just about like, oh, you'll be able to like, you have a machine that makes your your medicine at your house or something like that, right? Uh, Number five, the fifth article, uh, was someone who wrote about how we'd be eating a lot less meat. uh, And uh, meat will be more of a treat than a staple. And we'll be eating a lot more plant-based stuff. Uh, Number six, today's Syrian refugees, 2030's CEOs is just someone who was writing about, and I think that person was a Syrian who wrote that one, who was writing about how the generation of Syrians who've been displaced by the conflict there will will grow up to have better futures. Number seven, the values that built the West will have been tested to breaking point, which is all about how, and that's written by the executive director of Human Rights Watch, that one is, and it was Mm -hmm. just about how we need to bolster democracies. We can't forget about checks and balances. We need to make sure we have these systems secured and safe and that we have all these backups yeah. in place. And then, number eight, by 2030, we'll be ready to move humans towards the red planet. It's basically we're going to go to Mars. That's all it is. So those are the eight articles that were part of this series that he's taken completely out of context to try and pretend means that the World Economic Forum wants to make sure you can't own anything. That's what it is. That's sad. Yes. That's sad, isn't it? That's a really desperate yeah. attempt at distortion. Not that we haven't seen about the same from our other authors. No. But it's not even particularly
2: No, it's the but it's that it's that uh it's, a, lacking context. You, that don't look behind the curtain. Of it. Right, it's just don't yeah, look yeah, behind yeah. the curtain. Yeah, over here, over here, over here.
0: <laughs> exactly what it is. But yeah. Benedict, why don't we jump into chapter one? Do you have an alternate chapter title for us?
2: Yeah, it's, no, really, what is it?
0: <laughs> that's good, that's good. Uh, mine, what anthropology for fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs>
2: anthropology for dummies. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, I had a second one as well, which is, allow me to prove in one sentence that I didn't write this book. Because the chapter <laughs> begins, quote, ahem. There's an internal tension or I'm sorry, there's an eternal tension in the human soul between the desire for freedom and the desire to be told what to do by those in authority. No and Alex can I didn't just read
2: it. I encourage people to imagine Alex Jones saying that series of words out loud.
1: I mean, there's an eternal tension in the human soul between the desire for freedom and the desire to be told what to do by those in authority.
2: Yeah, see, it doesn't work. No, doesn't work. Doesn't, doesn't work. work. <laughs>
0: yeah. And it continues. I mean, there's, look, this first chapter is 12 pages. Uh, so this is, you know, likely be a shorter-ish uh, episode. But I highlighted almost every fucking paragraph Everything. because it's brilliant also, the entire way through.
2: Well, you know what? You know when you're writing and your brain kind of when you're in like a write, i don't know how often you write mm-hmm. but like when when you're in a writing flow and your brain like does that thing where it keeps using the same word yeah. and then the editing is where you have to go back and be like oh i've said human 11 uh-huh. times in five uh-huh. sentences yeah. that's what he did he's that, done that the and he beauty does he does of it.
0: legal writing and technical yeah. language is that we can use those words over and over again and not worry about it because we were trying to make that <laughs> okay. point
2: well, in normal writing, <laughs> that is frowned upon because it looks repetitive and it bores the reader. So here he talks about the desire in the human soul and then talks about the human ability to work and together as one of the strengths of humanity.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh God. I, I just have, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read this because it's fucking okay, brilliant. Go for it. Go, go for the it. human ability to work together in partnership is one of the great strengths of humanity, as is the ability to dissent from the accepted wisdom of the day. <laughs> Many pollsters have noted the trend that, no matter the question, there's roughly a quarter of the population that will have an opposing view. Some have taken to call it the calling it the idiot twenty-five percent of the population. Who who calls it that? I mean, I'm going to from now on. Sure, yeah, from now. <laughs> if you're just contrarian on every fucking issue because you yeah, for the I sake mean, of being contrarian, issue, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and yet, I see it as an evolutionary advantage, giving humanity unprecedented flexibility. And
2: Can I <laughs> go ahead? Tell you how happy I was that we got the story
0: of Thag <laughs> and Uther,
2: because there is oh sorry Thag probably. Uh, uh, right? I look, I'm going with th- Thag.
0: Th- I'm going with Thag. That's what I have.
2: Okay. Th- it's a double A, so I'll, I'll go. I'll go with Thag. Okay. Um, so uh, just like what the fuck, dude? This is, the like, greatest this greatest is book your we've opening ever page. <laughs> this is your opening page, and you're like, okay, bear with me. Imagine the Ice Age.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, this is this is that fucking pop bullshit pseudo anthropology that people were trying to do to justify their shitty beliefs. Like, it's also
2: very funny <laughs> that he's like he's clearly supposed to be Uther in this. Yeah, he thinks but he is. He just- yeah. Well, yeah, because he's like that, oh, maybe you're wrong, and what we've always done in the past uh-huh. shouldn't be what we do in the future. But he describes Thar completely gratuitously as tall, handsome, yes, and a great yeah. warrior. So, like, he's <laughs> fighting against him. What's Alex in this? Short,
0: fat... No, just let and, me like, read it, because like, it's know? fucking beautiful. It's fucking beautiful. Yeah, okay, it is, right, quote, right. Let's imagine we're in a small tribe of about 60 people in the last Ice Age. Our leader, Thag, which... Look, I love because, uh, fun fun fact, Um, the spikes on the end of a stegosaurus, I think it was stegosaurus tail, are called a thagomizer, which is entirely because, the name is entirely because uh, Jim Larson of the Far Side (laughs) drew a cartoon, which is like, you know, uh, uh, people pointing to it and saying, we call it the thagomizer, and like, you know, because it got the guy named Thag. Because that's what it killed Thag with, and scientists were like, "Oh, you know what? We actually haven't named that thing. Let's call it the Thagamizer." I love science. It's the best. It's the best. Uh, our leader Thag, tall, handsome, and a great warrior, suggests. I think that's who Alex would want to be. I don't think he wants to be the smart guy.
2: No, but he's he's the one that's, like, trying to tell them to do what they've always done, so I don't think that would be no,
0: Alex in this context. suggest a certain route to the Winter Caves. It's the route the tribe has regularly used for the past several years. But another member of the tribe, Uther, says, There's been a lot of early snow. The glaciers are advancing, and I think that route will likely be blocked. Many might starve if we take that route. I know another route. It's a little longer, with some challenging terrain, but we'll definitely make it to the Winter Caves uther is known as the thinker of the tribe maybe he's the medicine man and sometimes he seems a little crazy like when he starts talking about the spirits of the ancestors <coughs> hit return hit, hit return <laughs> okay by the way yeah that is alex because alex talks about the spirits of the ancestors a lot
2: yeah um no that's that that's definitely alex. but hit
0: return yeah, and the the one line that is separated by itself for no reason many outcomes are possible
2: look many many things could happen <laughs> <laughs> Almost thing, Everything's on the table.
0: And then we get this whole thing of him just, like, talking about, ah, oh, you know, maybe Thag and Uther are friends. Maybe they're enemies. Anything could happen, man. But maybe, maybe if they're the best of friends, then maybe you can have the good outcome. And he describes that as, quote, They talk and come up with a plan. They'll start the trek to the Winter Caves on the traditional route, but send their fastest runners ahead to make sure the path is open. If the traditional route is blocked at the early stages of the journey, it'll be easy to take a detour and switch to Uther's route. That is how the strongest tribes are created. By talking through disagreements and coming up with better plans. This is not what we are doing in our world today, and this is the first of many times in my book. I just wrote down in gigantic triple underlined letters, Alex. Alex, no, no, you, you can't say that.
2: Yeah, you can't be like, why is there no compromise? Why aren't
0: people just talking to each other? Why aren't they just you know getting over their issues? Rather than claiming that they're doing voodoo dancing and, and that they live in a blue abscess, why can't people get along? Yeah. It's just insane. It's just fucking insane. But then we get a nice Bible passage to pick up in here. I, For no reason,
2: really. I, I mean, mm, <laughs> like...
0: I, I have a theory. I have a theory. Okay. And my theory is that he knew that some of the readers would be young earth creationists who don't believe in evolution or the ice age. Okay. So he needed to find another way to try and get out his story or his point, which isn't really a point, with a Bible story instead of Thag and Uther. <coughs> That's my theory. It's my theory. Okay. It's not a bad one. But he says, for those readers who are more religiously minded, you might ask, what does the Bible say about the proper role between rulers and the people? You might be surprised to learn that one of the earliest books of the Bible, the book of Samuel, takes a dim view of rulers, especially kings. Okay, that's—okay, we're not even at the greatest line of the chapter yet. We're not even there yet. We're not even there. But Samuel is the book of the Bible that talks about the rise of King David.
2: Yeah, at the behest of Samuel. Yes! literally samuel samuel shepherds king david onto the throne and he
0: has like this the the portion he's block quoted from i think the king james version a lot of these people uh especially the alex jones types are the type who obsess over whether you're using the king james version of the bible versus like the the nev bible or whatever so i'm pretty sure this is king james but the portion he pulls out is just like you know the people asking samuel for a king and him saying you guys really want a king
2: Huh? Sure. You sure? And then eventually he relents and gives them a key Yeah,
0: and and but not in this. And passage. it's David. It's like the yeah. dude, the king, the the, dude. the one they yeah. all like think is the greatest, right? Like that's that's why David Koresh called himself David. Yep. Oh my God, it's insane. But so Benedict, um, should we rock paper scissors over who gets to read the greatest line of this chapter? Do do sure. do we need to figure out who gets to do that?
2: Yeah. Okay. Let's do it on the. I'm All right. Ready? You ready? Right. Here, there we go. One, One two, three.
0: Two, shoot! Three. Ah, you dick! You win. Fuck!
2: <laughs> All right. Where should I read from? Um.
0: You know. So the, the 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 Bible verse ends with. You know. He's gonna take your daughters and your cooks and bakers and blah blah blah. He's gonna take your oxen. Yeah. And, and then. Gotcha. We finish the quote. And then
2: out out of nowhere we finish
0: the and quote the and quote. then he says okay. what benedict is about to read to you this is on the page
2: he says a person might be forgiven if he comes to the conclusion that god was the original insurrectionist <laughs> <laughs> which but just for, for, we didn't read the previous quote because what follows has nothing, nothing to do with what is in to do the, with the quote
0: whatsoever. oh my god
2: it's the greatest thing oh my god I, I tweeted this out last night and got some reaction, <laughs> and everyone was like, Surely it was like Satan, though. No. And that is
1: absolutely, Look, yes, that would make, make more sense. Station.
2: That would
0: make that would more way, sense, make but, way more but sense. you think he's going to compare people who love him to Satan? No, of course he's not going to fucking do that. No. Oh God, it's so good. It's and, so good. And I will good. say, listen.
2: It says the last line it goes to is "You will complain against the king whom you have chosen, but on that day the Lord will not mm-hmm. answer you." And then he says, "You could be forgiven for thinking that God was the original." It has nothing to do with it. It literally, there's, it's like they cut a page, and we're just like, ah, eh, whatever. Like, but if there no, was no. a point
0: where like people ransacked a temple or like went and tried to overthrow a king, that would make sense. <laughs> The passage there are bits he before in, him, like, in the New no Testament sense. where
2: Jesus does do that, like he like.
0: Yes, you could have a, a fucking uh, throw in the the money changers out of the temple. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. You could look. I would. It would be a stupid comparison, but it would at least be a technically correct comparison. Yeah. If you were to be like, oh well, you know, like the the uh, Democrats in Congress are like the money changers in the temple, and we went in to throw them out. Blah. It's a stupid mm-hmm. comparison, but you could do it, and I wouldn't be as it wouldn't yeah. be as stupid as this. Oh, my God. So uh, then he starts talking about some (laughs) Christian nationalism bullshit because he Uh, is, of course, and he knows who his audience is. So he's going to pander to some Christian nationalists. Uh, But he says, immediately following what Benedict says, However, the correct interpretation is that God was suspicious from the beginning that having a king or any ruler was a good idea, which A, to me, reads as heresy. Uh, because you're saying that God was suspicious. He knew everything. You're saying he didn't know everything for all time. That's heresy. But
2: also, part of the covenant is like, you will have a rule. Like, it's, that's very silly.
0: Uh, and then he says, his preference was that the people kept him in their hearts and thus would not need any rulers. When yeah, one uses which,
2: and then jumps to the fucking Declaration of Independence. When like, one
0: uses the frame of the Samuel story, it becomes clear why many believe the United States to be a divinely ordained nation. Okay. Our yeah. founding documents clearly place the people as the true masters of our country, if only we act like it. The rulers
2: serve yeah, the people. but again, that wasn't like God doesn't give us the Declaration of Independence. I literally given to, <laughs> literally yeah. given to us by man. Literally
0: given to us by man. The rulers serve the people, not the other way around. The more power is given to the people, the more God's will is accomplished. People who demand more freedom are working in God's interest. I mean, and obviously by more freedom, he just means like freedom to discriminate on religious grounds and freedom to let Christian churches have everything they want and nobody else have anything. That That's freedom, all right, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's, that's that freedom right. I keep hearing so much about. But he tells us now the premise of this book. And he says, quote, The premise of this book, because he's not soft-handed about it, is that the battle we are fighting against the Great Reset is nothing more than an ancient battle between the forces of freedom and tyranny.
2: And And he hasn't told us what the Great Reset is. Well, And nor does he in this whole chapter. No, he does not. He He does not. That sentence is written as if we all know what the Great Reset is.
0: Well, and I know it reads as though it is, you know, flowery language, to take a phrase from him later on, uh, (laughs) or coming up immediately almost, but... I think that is literal, because if he's writing based on things that Alex told him, Alex believes that he is literally, literally in a fight against the Christian devil. He believes that it is literally, or uh, I have to say, he claims to believe. The words that come out of his mouth are that he believes. He is in a literal fight with the Christian devil. That is, the forces of literal primordial evil on one side, and then dude who sells fake dick pills on the other so i just want to point out it reads as though it's a, an analogy or a metaphor i think it is literal
2: okay so I'll, uh, they, I'll i hadn't thought about it that much but let's, let's I, I'm,
0: maybe i'm overthinking some things maybe sure. that's going on so on the next page he begins uh by telling us that he's not going to tell us what the great reset is yet He says, quote, before we get to the Great Reset, we should ask the question, who is its most well-known advocate? And he says that that designation must surely belong to Klaus Schwab, founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum. By the way,
2: not well-known at all. Like... You know.
0: you know, he's become more well known since conspiracy theorists have grabbed onto the Great yeah, Reset but as not, a title.
2: Not well known amongst the broad population. I no, I,
0: I definitely don't think so. I definitely don't think so. And he has a quote here like, uh, the CEO of Salesforce introduced Schwab's 2016 book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Who cares? It's just like the same bullshit everyone everyone puts in an introduction to a book like this. Like, oh, it's uh, uniquely placed to synthesize the experiences and views of leading global blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Yeah, corporate babble. Corporate fucking babble. Who cares? But of course, he finds immense value in this fucking intro to a book because of Mm -hmm. the, the secrets it betrays about what these people are all really about. He says, quote, that's a helpful piece of information. If you think the attendees at the World Economic Forum held every year in Davos, Switzerland, have an accurate view of what's happening at the street and neighborhood level of their respective countries, you're likely to be impressed by Schwab's credentials. And that that description also is not uh, squared with Alex's view of the globalists or the Well, elites. none of this
2: squares with anything because, like— no. It's like he doesn't believe in global like t- climate change rather sure, but absolutely. then accuses them of being like pumping carbon into the atmosphere mm-hmm. with their globe trotting.
0: Right. So it's just right.
2: like he tries to have it both ways with it. And it's just like, ah, oh, these these people are contributing to the thing that I don't believe in by doing the thing that you ha-. like it's just it's nonsense.
0: It is, and I just wanted to point out that like Alex believes that the globalists, among whom Klaus Schwab is one, he has called him a globalist, that they are intentionally carrying out malicious acts towards the population it's not that they're out of touch it's not that they're dumb or whatever the case might be Alex believes that it is intentional acts that they are doing that they are trying to murder people or whatever the case might Mm. be right that's what it is and he says uh following another quote from Klaus Schwab as I've reviewed Schwab's work he reminds me of a stage magician Diverting your attention with one hand <laughs> so you don't see what he's doing with the other. <laughs> and I gotta say, having just read the quotes he put into this chapter of Klaus Schwab, I, ah, man, you get fooled by the nose trick still, don't you? If you think he's yeah. a stage magician. You get fooled by I've got your nosey. It's, it's not like,
2: exactly <laughs> distracting. It's not a there's no bait and switch here.
0: No, there really isn't. It's really just him being like. We're on we're at an important time in history. Oh really? You think we're at an important time in history? Like everyone else has always said we're at an important time in history? Yeah. Because we've always been at an important time in history, because every port, point of history is important? Yeah, mm. sure. Fine, I guess. But I think um I think Alex's Alex's like
2: uh press return one liners are the best we've come across. Oh yeah, so the, much so, this,
0: right? So much so, like I was—we were about to get to an example. His, his
2: David Foster Wallaceisms are, are
0: <laughs> on point. It really. Who was the last one we did who had really good? Was it Glenn Beck who had a bunch of Glenn those? Glenn Beck, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, the,
2: he. Well, because he uses it as a as like a pregnant pause. Yes. Yes. Like in, instead of ellipsis, he does the return. Really. And yeah. We too, didn't right?
0: get a bunch of that in Mark Levin, but they are coming back. So for example, well, this is all fucking block quotes. <laughs> you know what? Uh, we get to a page, page 7 here, I have written in the margins, "Oh no, not more block quotes. Please, not <laughs> more block quotes." <laughs> Because, he do too many. To yeah, yeah, he's giving us some. But we get to the first one of those that you were just talking about. We talks about Mark Benioff. That's the Salesforce <laughs> CEO who was writing the introduction to Schwab's book, and he says Benioff reveals the true intention of the book when he creates that the when he states that the purpose is to allow us to quote collectively create an empowering, prosperous, human centered future for all. Oh Hit no! Return. <laughs> Hit return. Really? Yeah. That's. <laughs> I guess Wallaceism is the way we have to refer to those. We need like a standard nomenclature. And you've you've sort of called them David Foster Wallaceism, so maybe we need to go with that.
2: Yeah, it's not not like internet bloggy writing, like it's yeah.
0: Oh but Benedict, oh but Benedict, there's one immediately after that and it's the it's so good. He says, quote, here's a reality check. Have any members of the Davos group come up to you in the past few years and said, hey, I really want to understand your life. Can we talk for you a few hours? I'll give you my email and cell phone number in case you think of something later. Hit return. I doubt it. (laughs)
2: Like, how often are you coming into contact with these people? Like, no, no,
0: Benedict. No, 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 no. no. If, if, If Klaus Schwab has not approached you personally, the reader on the street, giving you his email and cell phone number and asked you to call him or text him in case you come up with something. He's probably a texter. Nobody likes calls, right? In case you come up with something later, then the members of the Davos group don't know anything about the real world. Like, I'm not arguing that they're not out of touch, but that's a stupid explanation for why they're out of touch. Yeah. Oh, God. And then we get a bunch of block quotes from Klaus Schwab, which, uh... Man, I don't know if we want to read these block quotes or no, not. I got so no. tired of block quotes with Mark Levin, but I feel like we do need to give a taste because chapter two is going to be all about this fucking book.
2: Well, the first one's about technology revolution and how it's right. transforming humankind. It, it just basically... Changing the way we live, work, and relate to each other, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah,
0: basically technology is changing our lives in ways that we've never had to deal with before. That's, mm-hmm. that's just a, you know... How many people have written that same exact paragraph in different words? Fucking thousands. It's
2: also, uh, this is where Jones, or whatever his name is, um, the ghost writer, first calls it breathless flowery okay. language. Yes.
0: And, okay, that was the reason why I wanted to read that prior paragraph in its entirety. Okay, Just to known, give an I've idea known. of how stupid that statement was. Because yeah. the paragraph from Schwab... It is, it
2: is neither breathless nor flowery. Yeah. See so if you can spot that.
0: <laughs> the paragraph from Schwab is, quote... Of the many diverse and fascinating challenges we face today, the most intense and important is how to understand and shape the new technology revolution, which entails nothing less than a transformation of humankind. We are at the beginning of a revolution that is fundamentally changing the way we live, work, and relate to one another. In its scale, scope, and complexity, what I consider to be the fourth industrial revolution is unlike anything humankind has experienced before. So much flowers, Benedict! So much flowery language! (laughs) It's a little flowery, but... but I wouldn't call it, like, breathless and Better The way he... Okay, I have to read his paragraph immediately after that quote now, because he says, quote, Are you ready for an exciting journey, boys and girls? One almost expects Schwab to tell us how to get in touch with our sixth chakra and access our inner child. Are you shitting me? There's nothing like that in there, I know. (laughs) If you read that... From the paragraph that Schwab wrote, your brain is is broken.
2: This is the Dalai Lama.
0: Your brain is fucking broken. And next, we get that the thorn of totalitarianism is Hmm. hidden among all that rose-colored language that we got from Schwab. And we get another big block quote. And he
2: says... Can you find the thorn? And I could not.
0: <laughs> I could not. There, Okay, there was one in there. So it's just a list of like all these things that are changing. That's all it is, right? So on the societal front, a paradigm shift is underway in how we work and communicate as well as express and form and entertain ourselves. Government institutions are being reshaped as our systems of education, blah, blah, blah. It's all shit like that. The only one that stood out to me that could possibly be construed as a thorn of totalitarianism, given that this is a, this is a descriptive paragraph. This paragraph is Mm -hmm. describing things that are happening. Uh, But the one that stood out was, quote, New ways of using technology to change behavior behavior, and our systems of production and consumption also offer the potential for supporting the regeneration and preservation of natural environments. So using technology to change behavior could sound authoritarian. It could, yeah. I can see someone say, oh, that, that's, they're just talking about using brain chips to make you go eat soy. Sure. Like, I, I can see that. It's much more interesting than the way he treats that, uh, which is really boring. So he goes through the whole list, and he's just like, let's count the number of subtle calls to increased control over your life, which is bad grammar for one thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and And also, not what's going on. They're not calls for anything. The entire paragraph is just descriptive of things that are happening, not in any ways proscriptive. I, I don't, I guess that's how this grift has to work. If you can't find the evidence you need of your boogeyman being boogeyman, you have to just point to things in the world you don't like that are happening and say, mm-hmm. they're saying they want those things to happen. I guess that's the only way you get to it.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's always it. Like, uh, and again, like that's what we had with Mark, wasn't it? Where it was like a description of things that are happening, mm-hmm. and he was
0: like, and him they want this. really not leveraging the point where there were people who were actually calling for the things. Yeah, like, or the, if he the, did, it was like people no one had ever heard of. Yeah, the Cloward and Piven stuff. Like they were actually yeah, calling yeah. for people to overload the the welfare system to like make make sure so that the government has to increase benefits and and improve services. Like they were calling for that. But he didn't really dwell on that that much. But nope. so he starts with, you know, that stuff, uh, profound shifts across all industries and uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a phrase he puts at the end of it. And let's not forget the blatant lies they tell, like leading you to believe they want incumbents to be disrupted. They're the incumbents. Which is actually that that one's good. That's a good two sentence pair right there. But then we get to the uh, societal front and them complaining. Also,
2: that's true. That's true. Like, they they don't want to be displaced and disrupted. Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, But does Alex actually care about that fact? No. 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 He cares that they're moderately on the other side of, like, these social issues that he doesn't care about, that they believe in. Also, by the way, like, these changes
2: are all being led by private companies. None of this is government.
0: Right, absolutely. Like, the world economic... We're going to have to get into it at some point in this book, what the World Economic Forum really is. It's just a bunch of fucking rich people who think that people care about their ideas. And because they have money and power, like, and they, they have the ability to, to actually... People
2: do care about their ideas.
0: They're right. Because they have money and power, they do have the ability to actually make changes in the world. But, like, it's mostly, like, neoliberal, moderate reforms to, like... Yeah. basic problems with capitalism
2: it's exactly what you would expect from the people who are
0: involved people who are trying to save the system by making the moderate changes to the system so to placate the masses need, yeah right that's like basically exactly. what it is um but then we get to institutions and he says about that quote uh, Well, he says, Next, he moves to the institutions. Quote, Equally, governments and institutions are being reshaped as are systems of education, healthcare, and transportation, among many others. And then he says, Let's put that into the plain person translator. Was that not plain enough? Yeah, it's very plain. I thought it was. But he continues, And we conclude they just want to control the schools, the medical system, and your freedom of movement. You can't say that Schwab and his gang aren't ambitious.
2: They generally want to increase freedom of movement. That's one of the
0: I mean, like, I would I, I would very much argue that increased focus on public transportation is wanting to increase your freedom of movement, not control yeah. it. I mean, although you know the stupid arguments you hear from people on the right about like buses and trains,
2: just get in. Oh well, I can't
0: park right in front of where I want to go and walk six feet to go inside. I have to get off at wherever the stop is and then walk a block and a half because bus stops are only every two blocks. What the fuck is this bullshit? Like, it's very dumb. It's very very dumb. Uh, yeah. And then you get like the techno dweebs like I once heard my dad after I think he had read like a freakonomics book be like well you know the real solution would be like smaller cars for everyone so their parking is taken care of and everyone has a, a small uh, cheap vehicle that doesn't use a lot of that gas would also
2: somewhere. be okay let's move towards that first
0: like <laughs> well he's probably against that if he really thought yeah, about exactly. it because it's like well they're gonna make me buy a small car rather than my fucking SUV that gets 20 miles a gallon yeah yeah. But uh, we get, I mean, this is the closest he gets in the entire book to the, the entire chapter to trying to actually describe the Great Reset where he says, quote, and what do Schwab and company actually want? Well, helpfully, they tell us. New ways of using technology to change behavior. And it's the quote that I read. That's what it is. And then he continues after that quote. They're the ones who want to use technology to reshape us as well as control the means of production and consumption. In other words, you'll eat our plant-based burgers and lab-grown meat when we tell you. If you want. I mean, it, it is if you want. It's just if you want. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's it. Like, nobody's going to force an impossible burger down your throat, buddy. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit if you want to eat that or not. And then he says, then he says, Benedict. The, I, I thought this was the best line. It's pretty the, fucking, yeah, I mean, the insurrectionist yeah. line is pretty good. This one's also pretty good. This may sound like a minor point, but Schwab is really, is a really bad writer. Mm, Mm.
2: interesting. Mm. Would you like Mm. to expand on that?
0: You don't get to say that. You don't get to say that because I've read nine pages of you now and you're a very bad fucking writer.
2: And I just I to mean, put... He's fine, but he's not good enough to be like... The, and also, he's hes hes a bad reader, because Schwab isn't a bad oh, writer. Yeah. He's just... He's fine. Well, like, it's, where, fine.
0: it's where I texted you last night. His attempt to throw shade at another ghostwriter is really sad.
2: Yeah, it's funny. Because
0: <laughs> I don't think Klaus Schwab wrote his book either. No. I know Alex didn't write this one, and I don't think that Klaus Schwab wrote his own. So it's just like a battle of ghostwriters... Uh, one who apparently writes pandemic fiction versus another who writes, like, techno-corporate babble books for people. So, yeah, that's what it is. But he continues, as he mentioned, quote, However, I think Schwab's writing and persuasion skills lie at the heart of this book. And I think he means this book. The book we're reading is what lies at the heart. Oh, I see, okay. One can make the argument that all writing is about persuasion, but the quality of the writing is determined by the quality of the author's thinking brilliant writing is the result of a brilliant mind the most engaging writing is generally the result of the author being willing to explore provocative ideas in a way the reader may not have considered before picking up the book that is the wendy's manager explaining to one of the other employees that he's the manager because he's brilliant that's what the (laughs) fuck that is yeah like oh my god that that paragraph so fucking amazing to me when i read it last night i was like this that's i think that was the point where i texted you this Uh, is the greatest book we've ever read yeah yeah (laughs) this is so amazing i can't believe it but like what what does he think provocative ideas are is a question that came up to me in reading that like what does that mean to him does it mean calling sandy hook a hoax because i I guess guess. that's a provocative idea. It wasn't a good idea. Uh, It didn't make your writing any better. But like, I I just, I'm confused at what he means by the most engaging writing is a result of the author exploring provocative ideas. Like Lolita's a great book, but if you sit around reading it and listening to Lana Del Rey, you have a problem and we need to have you see a professional. Like that's, (laughs) I I don't, I just don't know what he's saying. (laughs) There are warning signs. But he tells us that there's um, a three-pronged approach that Schwab is using. And the first of this prong uh, is use a lot of flowery, gee whiz, isn't progress amazing sections with some interesting facts of which the reader might not be aware. Okay? Fine. I will accept that that is probably something that's in Schwab's book. Mm -hmm. Second, introduce some threat, such as instability of the system, to make people uneasy. Okay, I'm assuming he means like climate change exists. And third, let the reader know that Schwab and his Davos group have the answer. I'm
2: not sure they even have the answer. Is it? It's just like a it's a diagnosis of the situation. I mean, I, I like maybe we should. I have haven't read, read Schwab. You know, maybe yeah. we
0: do have to get Schwab's book, which is disappointing because I don't want to read that. Like, yeah. <laughs> we might have to have it as a companion to that. Although I will tell you, so um. Hilariously, this book has endnotes. And the endnotes are fucking bad. The endnotes are so fucking bad. Like, I can't tell you how many times he's literally just citing InfoWars videos. He's just citing to, like, uh, NewsWars.com, InfoWars.com. And if you go to... And I mean, I guess that makes sense since he owns it, but it's not, it's still not a good citation. You still need a better citation than that. Mm -hmm. But if you go to the chapter where he really goes through the book, uh, the Klaus Schwab book, you see that basically he's got a bunch of citations from the beginning of the book. And I mean like, you know, first 50 pages. And then he's got a bunch of citations from the very end of the book. So I think he sort of just went that way of like the old, oh, college essay is due in three days. I have a total of 45 minutes to read this entire book I should have read a month ago. I think that's sort of what he did with this. But okay. I will tell you, after that description of how Schwab works, he gave us this, which is a, a sentence that says, quote, this is generally known in persuasion as the problem-reaction-solution dynamic. Is it? That- no. No, it is not, Benedict. <laughs> It is known by that to a gentleman by the name of David Icke. Oh, David fun. Icke okay. cool. is yeah, the no, primary proponent of, of the, the problem-reaction-solution cycle of conspiracy. Cool. Uh, he is also regularly on the Alex Jones Show, uh, despite Alex pretending that he's not into alien lizards and things like that, which are really Jews. Come on, we know, David, we know. Uh, but Benedict... Um, Do you want to briefly explain to our audience who David Icke is?
2: Yeah, he is the uh, conspiracy theorist who thinks that the royal family are lizards. Yes, he is. So Used to be a football player.
0: Used to be a football player. Went crazy on air, claimed he was Jesus, um, and now says that the royal family are all lizards. That's Mm -hmm. where we're pulling sources from. But I will also say that Alex, uh, this problem, reaction, solution thing, um, Alex talks about this a lot as well. You know, he's a friend with David Icke, so probably got it from there. But Alex always incorrectly calls it the Hegelian dialectic. Mm. Uh, And, like... It's not that. It's not that. It's not that at all. The Hegelian, like... It's uh, like, uh, I forget what it is, but something, something synthesis is all I remember of the Hegelian dialectic. And it's not this.
2: I mean, there's thesis, antithesis, that's synthesis. It. That's, synthesis, it. that's is the, it. That's what it is. That's, this. which is a marked, again, yeah. That's, that's yeah.
0: That, that's essay,
2: essay writing 101, yeah.
0: basically. Uh, but this problem, reaction, solution is not Hegelian dialectic. Nope, that is conspiracy theories from David Icke. And he continues after that with, quote, it's said we don't think in facts, but in narratives. If we have a compelling narrative, we will subconsciously dismiss facts that don't fit the narrative and give greater weight to those that do fit the narrative. And again, in giant block letters, I wrote, Alex! Alex! You're writing about yourself, Alex! (laughs) Because that is what Alex does. That is absolutely what Alex does. And with him, it's probably a bit more intentional than a lot of his listeners or or viewers, right? Maybe. Because, well, Alex is crafting the narrative. So Alex uh, is confronted a lot. If he does any of the research he claims he does, he has to be confronted with the realities of the situation. And that means he has to intentionally leave off parts and lie and create the story. And we've seen him do that, right? We saw him lie about knowing what voodoo dances look like like 45 <laughs> minutes ago. We know Literally he just,
2: lie. Yeah,
0: we saw it happen. But, you know, so we get to the next page. He's really just talking about persuasion, claiming that Klaus Schwab is coming up with all sorts of problems to try and scare people into agreeing with whatever his solutions are. Uh, and one of the ones that he highlights here uh, is, well, this is, is, A, Schwab is using you know, disruptive, okay, which I just hate that fucking word. Stop using disruptive. Mm -hmm. Everyone stop with the disrupt bullshit. Go fuck yourselves. Uh, But the quote he pulls is, My concern, however, is that decision makers are too often caught in traditional, linear, and non-disruptive thinking, or too absorbed by immediate concerns to think strategically about the forces of disruption and innovation shaping our future. Go fuck yourself, Klaus Schwab. You, (laughs) go disrupt your toilet. Uh, But he says about that, that, you know, he's, he's basically pretending that these changes are so big in order to get people to follow his ideas. And he says, exactly, mm-hmm. quote, Schwab is clearly using exaggerated language parenthetical outright lies to convince you to follow his suggestions in real life when somebody lies to you you stop listening to him oh dear (laughs) however we're going to go even deeper to reveal the extent of schwab's deceptions and the true plans of his davos group and in giant block letters next to that paragraph benedict i put alex alex that's you alex I can't help it. Yeah. It's gonna happen so yeah. many times in this book. But again, we get him calling it flowery language and saying he's gonna gonna describe it in its true meaning for people who can't understand. I, just, I don't really know like
2: flowery. Yes. I don't well, really understand what he even means by breathless. I like think, he always he keeps saying breathless, dude. I not think really sure. it is
0: an excuse to do this bullshit gag of pretending that there are hidden meanings within what is very very clear language that Schwab's book uses. Like it's it's like I, I read that. I understand what he's saying. I don't know why anybody... I mean, I hate the word disruptive and I think it's bullshit, but I get what he's saying. He's saying we need more creativity because there are problems. These are big changes, big problems. We need more creativity. That's all he's saying. But he needs an excuse to pretend there's this hidden meaning hidden meaning behind that, which is a common tactic, mm-hmm. of, tactic of Alex and conspiracy theorists. When the words you're using don't say what you need them to say to fit the mold of the conspiracy, say that there's a subtext that is really what you want it to say. So he says that he's going to translate this for it. And his translation is, quote, Those currently in charge are too stupid to understand the brilliance of my plan. Stand aside, peasants, and let me unleash my massive brain power on the world. (laughs) He actually has a parenthetical. He does say,
2: insert maniacal (laughs) supervillain law. Kevin just did that. It was great.
0: I did. I did. I stayed in character. And he says, quote, honestly, is there any other way to understand the condescension in Schwab's writing? Look, man if you're reading that as condescending, you have a fucking problem. You have a serious fucking mm-hmm. problem. I, yeah. I, I don't know how else to help you, buddy. I just really don't. But he points out that this supposed revolution, and we know the people on this side, uh, you know, the John Birchers, who we've looked at in the past, and people of this sort of anti-communist hysteria ilk, they like to talk about revolutions a lot, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So he's saying this is a not, it's not a revolution that is starting with the grassroots among the proletariat, Quote, this is a revolution starting in the corporate suites among the bourgeoisie, where transnational business people get together at big meetings in places like Davos, Switzerland. Yes. And I mean, I agree that these people are, are not the proletariat. I, I agree it as much as that is. I don't agree that yeah. there's a revolution going on, but I do yeah. agree with you that they are the p- literal bourgeoisie, like yeah. as, as much as you can possibly be. Yeah, but now we get to the uh, I'm I usually do the final paragraph, but I have like six paragraphs to do here at the end. I'm going to read all of because, you know, Uh, so I will read these last several paragraphs to finish off this chapter. And they are, quote, this book will detail all parts of Schwab's strategy to use the Great Reset to achieve an unprecedented amount of control over your daily life. This genuinely is a war for the world. It is a war to control the future of human development and capture control of the human species. We all have a stake, a vital stake in the outcome. I freely confess that in this book, I use abundant satire and mockery.
2: Mm, Interesting, okay. It's
0: always, when you have to announce it, that you're using satire... That's how we know it's satire, right? That's how we know. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's,
2: you have to do that Other, if it's satire.
0: Otherwise, how would we know? How would we know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and yet that's not to imply that the plans of Schwab and the Davos group are not dangerous. I absolutely believe they are planning an enormous assault on our freedoms, and we must figure out the best way to counter their designs. A power the elites have used for thousands of years is respect and reverence. In previous centuries, we were encouraged to believe our rulers were descendants of the gods or some type of advanced human being. I use satire and mockery to demonstrate Schwab and his minions do not deserve your respect or deference. I can't wait till we get to the point where he uses some of that satire and mockery. I'm really fucking excited for that, if I'm honest. Yeah, it should be good. Our enemies are human and possess no more strength or intelligence than you do. They currently possess many of the levers of power, whether in the media, government, or finance. But eventually, they are accountable to the common people. You are the ones who will decide whether the future is one of freedom and prosperity or bondage and suffering. And like the last five books we've gotten, they all do this at the beginning of the first chapter, have like an inspirational quote.
2: Workers of the world. Uh I mean, uh, not
0: that, (laughs) but something else. And his is, the power is in your hands and that's the end of chapter one what so, is the great reset did we lie or did we learn what the great reset is i don't know we didn't i we still did don't know what he thinks it means um i mean i know because i know what he thinks it means but i don't think that we know yet in this book what he thinks yeah. it means um who boy wasn't that something that boy? Bellic? yeah
2: that's uh, yeah, it's certainly something I would say. Uh, I don't know, it's it's been a bit of a wild journey, and let's see how we go.
0: I gotta say, one chapter in so far, I think you and I have both agreed uh, in a way that that goes beyond the way we did at the beginning of Mark Levin's book. We found the dragon. We were chasing the yep. dragon. We fucking got it by the tail this time. This is the shit we were looking for. This is exactly the crazy we were looking for, and uh, it's satisfying. It's real, yeah, real satisfying. We, this may be the high we never reach again. <laughs> oh God, no! Then we'll the have to go back chasing to
2: chasing for the rest of this podcast. Well, yeah. Benedict,
0: you know, uh, lucky point is that there's also a um, Glenn Beck book titled "The Great Reset." There's also right. <laughs> you
2: can just do a compare and contrast.
0: We could, we could, but that is it for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember. If you can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash nygbc. Become a patron for as little as $5. What am I talking about? $5. $5 a
2: month. Sure.
0: Did I get like an ad for something stuck in my head and that's Probably, why I came yeah. up with $5? $1 an episode for a patron-only episode. Shout-outs on the show, early releases of all our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, a baby, Veronica Forker, Polly Hauptman, Melissa C., J.D., George Solnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Hellman, Utah Outcast, Brent Lee, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Benjamin Carlyle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimick, AJ Brantley, Taro Duchanan, and Balls Watterson. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. Right into the danger zone. Ooh, wow. Goodbye.